All right. Hey, welcome to the Conquering Columbus podcast. I'm Mike. There's Josh. That's Tim. And uh, you guys are listening to the show. So uh, we got a great episode lined up for you today. But before we get to that, Josh, Tim, how are you guys doing? Doing good, dude. I'm uh, I'm a little bit tired today. Running running a few gears behind. I think Tim has too. He said he uh, ordered chicken wings from a burger place, which everybody knows. Chicken yeah. wings bad one, bro. Come move. On. Not as bad as falling asleep in my dentist chair, though. So I think you win the day. So for, for those of you who aren't aware, <laughs> I before I, this, I do think I won the day. Yeah. Okay, I, Josh fell asleep in his dentist chair. Which is actually kind of extremely a good quality to have. That's an accomplishment. Like, that like, is amazing. This wasn't while you were waiting. This was during. Like, no, she was working on your mouth. Hands and you in were, yeah. mouth. And yeah. Josh is like. Yeah, if they would. And it was multiple times, too. Because the first time I woke myself up snoring. And then she, I was like, yeah, I fall asleep. She's like, yeah, that was kind of crazy. And then I did it like four more times. <laughs> and then as I was leaving, I had to. Go, I did it so <laughs> much as I was leaving. I was like, I'm sorry for falling asleep. She's like, it, it was weird. <laughs> Just rough night last night. Dog <laughs> was wasn't weird. sleeping. Josh got a dog. Yeah, I did get a dog. I got, it has nothing to do with this episode, but I did get a dog and I'm trying to teach it to uh, not bite me in the face. So. <laughs> that seems like a good quality for a pet to have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of the episode, Josh mentioned the episode. Uh, today on the show, we were interviewing the guys from Studio Freight and uh, it's a great interview. I enjoyed talking to both of them and um, Tim Tim had like met them somewhere randomly, but didn't know them as well as we thought we did. So well, I, yeah. know, I know Clayton for a while, too. Yeah, Clayton's always been around. Yeah, I knew Clayton just in passing, kind of being in the art world in Columbus. So that was cool. I, I like that episode a lot because it mixes the the business side of things with also the the art side of things. And I, I really enjoy, like, the, the thought process that goes into creating. You know, when people see a logo or see a piece of art and they're like, I like it. It's good. It's bad. You know, like, the, the very baseline, the amount of thought and purpose put inside of it is, is, uh, it's really appreciating. And so we, they talked about that a lot and I really enjoyed that. Yeah, they do great they, work too. Honestly, they have some, some awesome work. Yeah, they do good work. They're a cool set of individuals and they're just super passionate about what they're doing. So from a business standpoint, I mean, you can't ask for much more that you'd want to work for with a vendor or a contractor in their space than, mm-hmm. than a- makes me really proud to have that coming out of Columbus. Right. Exactly. They, they seem really genuine and really, really, uh, determined to provide their clients with the best service possible. So definitely think you guys are going to enjoy this interview as always. We hope you learn a lot and we'll be right back. This is conquering Columbus. Falling through the air and I fell 450 feet through the air before I slammed into the mountain the first time. Hey there, Conquerors. Today on the show, we have Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. One of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. And that goal stays the same 24-7, 365. Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. I'm truly never comfortable. When I'm comfortable, I'm bored. I just have to keep going. Only when you're a little bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something. We're explorers and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places where people haven't before. Greg Odin. Push yourself. You know, we hear about a lot of people who in the times that they've struggled and pushing themselves the most is when they figured out the most about themselves. Donato's Jane Abel. We have a umbrella idea of agape capitalism, which is about doing business and doing it with love and giving back to the community. And I believe in our product, but more importantly, I believe in our people. The Ohio State University president, Dr. Michael Drake. When you really take yourself to your limit and then push yourself to do your very best. Pelotonia CEO, Doug Ullman. There's this genuine pride for things that were born and raised in Columbus. And that's awesome. At the same time, there's this beautiful Midwest humility. People don't necessarily care about who gets credit. White Castle CEO, Lisa Ingram. As human beings, I think 
We really like stability and doing things the same, but everybody knows you don't really grow. And so the other great thing about human beings is we want to learn new things. Urban Meyer. There's one guarantee in this world, and that's hard work will be rewarded. And hard work, you have to embrace discomfort. I love how you said that, live uncomfortably. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we've got Aaron Marks and Clayton Fuller of Studio Freight joining us. And Clayton and Aaron are partners at Studio Freight, an independent brand and digital design studio here in Columbus, and working with teams like Root Insurance, the Roosevelt Coffee Roasters, and Elliott, to name a few. Their team helps grow brands by making them easy to understand and impossible to ignore. Aaron is the co-founder and the design director, and Clayton is the managing director for the firm, and we are really excited to have them here on the show to learn more about their team in Studio Freight. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, guys. Thanks Thank you for having us. Appreciate it. And maybe start with a quick intro just so everyone knows who's talking. All right. I'm Aaron Marks. I'm Clayton Fuller. So let's kick it off and just talk about maybe a little bit of your background before joining the company. So sure. how did you start? Did you grow up in Columbus? And maybe we'll start with you, Clayton. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I'm from Columbus. I've been here most of my life. Uh, with two exceptions. I was in, uh, I studied abroad for a while in Manchester and I lived in California for a little while, but I'm back. I love it. So I grew up on the, the Southwest side in the Hilltop area. And then uh, I went to Ohio State. I went to the Fisher College of Business there and very nearly made a mistake in getting an accounting degree and luckily switched at the last second. Uh, ended up doing marketing and you know, I came out of school. Barack Obama was my commencement speaker, and I really just had no idea what I was doing. And so I applied at a bunch of ad agencies in town, and uh, no one hired me. So I went to California. That's where that stint came from. Then I came back and I started a company. Uh, it was a stationary paper goods brand. Largely came as a result of the time I'd actually spent in Manchester because I was I was writing a lot of letters to folks. And so I came back, and we actually wanted to start a buddy of mine from college. A, an app that would allow you to like write a message and then we would turn it into basically a paper version and send it out. This is like way back in like, you know, 2012 when that was actually maybe somewhat original. Yeah. That ended up happening, right? Yeah. I'm pretty sure yeah, I saw that. I that. think, yeah, yeah. Mm. So we, we kind of did the, you know, we're going to iterate and start with an MVP. So we started making just regular paper cards, selling them in regular paper shops. And uh, we sold about a hundred thousand of them before we ended up selling the company. After that, I, I felt like I needed to get a real job. So I joined an ad agency in town and then uh, did that for a couple of years and, and I ended up at Freight. Primarily focused on the marketing side of the ad agency or? I did a lot of writing, I would say, is mostly where my focus was. Um, like I just wanted to, to learn as much as possible. Like the first ad job, for example, I mean, one of the first film shoots I was on, it was like I had to direct Melvin Gordon, the running back uh, for the Chargers at the time. Completely had no idea what I was doing. And that's like exactly what I was there for. So it was, it was great, but I, I would not a clean answer in terms of what I was doing. It feels like everything. Does the degree ever really matter in terms of what you're doing? I mean, I don't think anybody's done what their degree has told them to do. Well, you know? for some people. I mean, <laughs> if you jumped into accounting, I mean, I doubt you would have uh, pivoted to directing. What was that dude's Melvin Gordon? Is that what you said his name is? Mm -hmm. I should follow football more. I don't know who that is, but I'm sure you wouldn't be directing him with an accounting degree. So I think it met, it matters to some extent. You know, right. marketing, sure. marketing is so broad. You can, you can span a lot of things in marketing. Yeah. I don't have a degree and there's a lot of days I don't do anything. So I guess, you know, I mean, you know, Hey, <laughs> should those days that I'm, route, <laughs> some days I'm falling right up with it. For sure. I mean, actually I look back on it. I kind of wish I had just got the accounting degree because it's, I can tell you right now, especially it's helpful to know numbers and how money works. Um, I mean, luckily I did it long enough to get something out of it, but I don't think it matters at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I think for me, if I were to go back and do college over again, 
I would have focused on who I met and who I built relationships with. Nothing else really mattered. I mean, you should pass. But for me, that would have done the trick. What year did you graduate from OSU? 2013. Okay. Took me five years. Uh, victory lap. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, because I feel like we've run into each other a ton over the, over the years, obviously. And I was like, I know Joel, my, my business partner was there. And I couldn't remember what year Barack uh, did the commencement speech. For sure. Not to make this a weird moment, but you were actually somebody that, you know, I was watching as somebody. I was like, I really want to be doing what Tim's doing. And um, I apologize. You guys had like this sick lawsuit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's all from kidding. the outside, right? Yeah. But, no, that was, that was a great, great time for us. Honestly, that, that was like the height of, um, you know, our, our financial success, but that was when we started losing, uh, w- you know, we started pay, paying more attention to accounting, honestly, right. and, you know, dealing with, you know, we had like 160 wholesale accounts that we had to deal with and, and then collect on it. And, you know, uh, net terms just get longer and longer with stores. I'm going to bore everybody on, on how that works, but you know, you start selling to these bigger stores and then the stores start not paying you. Then they stretch you thinner and thinner with how much it costs, you know, that they're front, you're fronting them, you know, with a initial markup and stuff like that. You're, you can get out hundreds of thousands of dollars real fast. And then you're like, oh shit, like we got to, we have to pay that even if they don't pay on time. Dude. And that's what you can't learn in school, right? Yeah. How do you get your money from all these people mm-hmm. that you put your own money up for? Yeah. Uh, you learn real quick. I mean, we got a, yeah, we got a doctorate in how to get shit done for sure during it, but we went into it not knowing anything, but anyways, oh, enough about me, but that's cool. Yeah. That was, that was a good, that was a good time. Like that, those years were, it was very, very fun, very fast paced. And that was the height of flash sales. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys remember like fab.com, and we were doing these flash sales. I mean, the first flash sale we did, we sold 17,000 units in like 24 hours. And it was out, like our space couldn't fit it. And we were like shipping. We told them that we could handle it. And we didn't realize we had to fulfill the orders ourselves before we had a, at the time. And so we had just stacks of clothes everywhere. I had to get friends in to like pack everything up to get everything out on time. And that was like the, just get it done phase, you know? And then those, you know, watching those rise super fast and then just crumble just so you could see like how quick everything just changes in that, in that world. You have to be so agile or you'll get, dude, you'll get left behind so fast. hundred so percent. Yeah. Jumping to yours. Are you, uh, are you from Columbus as well or what? I am not. I'm actually from Southern California, but no, uh, did not grow up in Columbus. Grew up in that area. So if you're from Southern California, you know the question then, right? Why did I move here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's an odd, it's an odd story, but the the quick of it is is I had extended family here. Okay, and I was I was sick of California. Uh, I had lived in Washington for a few years, moved back to California, tired of the prices, tired of the taxes, tired of just I don't know, it's just what I was familiar with, and I felt like I couldn't grow there, I couldn't breathe there. Every day felt like the same. I didn't feel like I had opportunity, even though that was that's not true. It's just mm-hmm. that's how it felt at the time. Oh, I needed sure. a, I needed a fresh start and. Before moving to uh, Columbus, actually, I, I went to Bible college in Washington and did two years there and then came back to California and taught and pastored for a season of time. And in the middle of all of that, somehow managed to design a little bit. Uh, it was more of like a hobby. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of like my origin. And I moved to Ohio blind and had no job lined up, no place to live, sort of stayed with family for the first week. I actually found a place in Granville to stay. Um, and I didn't really know what to do for employment. So I, I just started a freelance hustle. And that's kind of the conception of, of Efficacy Clothing, which is a clothing company that I ran that's out, based out of Nashville at this point, and started to take in small jobs for friends and family, $200 here, $400 here, $150 there. And just like cut my teeth doing that for a little while. Uh, meanwhile, like Instagram was blowing up 
Mm-hmm. And a lot of artists, hand letters, illustrators were taking to that platform and building a, a, a pretty substantial following at the time. And that was before the crazy algorithm. So it was like, mm-hmm. it was easy to build a network at that time and, uh, or build a following. And so I was, I was doing that. I was just posting a bunch of stuff and I, it was horrible. I had no idea what I was doing from a business standpoint. I even took a cashier job at Target. Uh, I was doing design for another church on a retainer and I had like six things going at once trying to make like a pretty mediocre salary. But I actually caught the attention of our other founding partner, Patrick, on Instagram. And we had a mutual friend and they said, yo, you got to meet this dude who's running a studio in, in Newark, Ohio, funny enough. And I was like, well, cool. I actually live around the area. I should, I should go talk to this guy. And they were like, just getting into gear to brand uh, Explore Licking County. So okay. they were, th- that was a project that had just floated through their studio. They were about halfway through it and through the research phase, discovery phase and all that, finally getting into the design sprints. And we, we actually hit it off, did a couple of things kind of on the side. And I ended up sticking around <laughs> for about uh, a year and a half. So Patrick and I hit it off and we were working on Explore Lincoln County. That brand launch went super, super well. I don't know if you guys have, have seen that at all, but uh, that was like the most comprehensive brand I'd ever been a part of. I think at that point, it was the most comprehensive brand Patrick had ever built. Patrick had CCAD experience, was graduating basically at the same point that we were completing that brand. So he was juggling a lot of hats. I was juggling a lot of jobs. And we were just trying to do the best possible work uh, we could do together. And at the studio we were at at the time was kind of like, it's kind of not fair to call it a studio. It's not really an agency. It was more of like a creative co-op where like you have a videographer, you have a web designer, you have a graphic artist, you have a photographer, and they all exist in this sort of facade that if a project makes sense for one person, it just goes through them and they kind of do it independently. Mm -hmm. But if a project is large enough and requires all the disciplines in the space, we all kind of threw down on that. And that's kind of what Explore Lincoln County was like. And Patrick and I started talking near the end, end of that project around what it would look like to start our own studio in Columbus. Mm-hmm. Because at that point we had worked with like the canal market district. We had worked with other nonprofits, United way. Uh, we branded like the pub on Broadway and we kind of felt like we had sort of reached our cap in that place. And we had decided like, we should probably give it a shot in Columbus. I feel like there's more opportunity there. And we brought that idea to the team at the time. And there was disagreement over whether or not it would be a success or a, or a smashing failure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, we, we, we inevitably split, like it was, it was kind of a mutual departure. Like they decided to close shop and they went to pursue other things. And Patrick, myself and our other original founding partner decided to split off and, and start freight in, in Columbus. How long ago was that? It was about three years, three and a half years ago. Okay. It's about. Our first sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I could not be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. So what does that look like? You guys help other people build brands. Now you got to build your own brand. Uh, do you go through a similar process with customers today? I mean, just talk me through like that process of building the studio out. Uh, it was awful. Like <laughs> it was uh, grueling. Uh, we, we've, we've all tried to like, you know, Patrick had independent projects. I, I was a freelancer. I had a clothing company. I've had experience building stuff that I'm trying to produce and 
this, for some reason, freight was the most difficult because we felt like we're putting all of our eggs in this one basket and this has got to count. And we basically left the other studio, started freight, got all our papers, started the S Corp, all that stuff, and sat in his loft on, on Spring Street and just threw all of our ideas at the table, looked at all the competition, had some idea where to start, but it was literally six months of brainstorming, not just our, our name alone, but also sifting through all the work that we had accumulated over the course of you know three, three years, four and a half years, stuff that I've done, stuff that he's done, stuff that we did at the other studio and figuring out how to present that. And then on top of that, figuring out how to actually sell freight. Like, how do we even talk about this? We know that we want to be more focused. The other place that we're leaving didn't have a, a centralized message or an approach to what they're actually selling. There was no real offense. It was sort of whoever walked in the door. So now we had to figure out how to actually talk about and convince people of the value that we're offering here. And that was a super challenging phase. I mean, like I said, about six to seven months of ideation and experimentation and building the brand before we even took our first client. So try to do it right the first time. I feel like because, you know, you guys are all creatives and you're working in that space together and, and that sort of thing, it would be almost harder to get the three of you to come to an agreement on it. Cause you all have very strong ideas, I would guess. And like, I think it would be really difficult to get all three of you to like, yes, this is the vision. This is the brand that I want. Was that case or no? Uh, honestly, it was, it was pretty smooth sailing except for the business card. That was the one thing that we legitimately <laughs> broke and like tore into each other over was a design for a business card. It was the only moment that we'd ever fought to my knowledge up to that point. And we had all known each other for about two and a half years, three years at that point and worked, you know, 12, 14 hour days together. We literally broke over a business card. But outside of that, no, I mean, we had a pretty laser vision. I mean, we were all kind of relatively at the same experience level, trying to sort through this. And we, in a lot of ways, like, you know, starting a business, people say is like a marriage and there was like trust that had to be established and lots of ideas are throwing down and we kind of just filtered them through unanimous consent. Like, yeah, this is it. This is it. We all, we all have that gut check that this is where this thing needs to head. But yeah, a business card. Yeah. That, that shattered us for like probably half a day. You got one with you? No, I don't. Not at the moment. All that <laughs> but pain. I, but, but, <laughs> but, but we do have one still. So there you go. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I had a business card. Honestly, should probably make one. I get confused when people hand me one. I just like, I don't, I got to hold on to it while you're looking at me. But <laughs> if you walk away, I'm probably not going to keep it. Uh, for context, the reason why it, sh it, it shattered us in that moment is because a business card is like a brand test. How can you consolidate who you are and what you're selling and, and the expression of your identity in this little three and a half by two mm -hmm. space? And as a designer, it matters so much more than it's not, it's not about the contact. It's not about the contact. It's, no, it's, it's not. About you're going to judge me from this. Yeah. Absolutely. And as someone who's judged many of people by their business card, it's going to happen. You know? Yeah. And, and I think for us, it was a test of like how we could actually simplify what we were trying to say. Mm -hmm. And so it was less about how one of you guys would interpret the business card. You know, that does matter. But for us, it was like, can we actually fucking like digest or like, like explain the thing that we're trying to do? And we have this small little space to do that. And I think that that, that was like a, a testing point for us of whether or not we knew, knew what we were actually doing. Mm. So, so many agencies across Columbus alone, like how are you guys, when you sat down and you looked at the competition, how did you decide that you were going to differentiate yourself and how have you continued to do that up until the day? Like have things changed from the original uh, mission or starting value proposition? They've changed in a lot of subtle ways, yes. But I think that 
where freight started, it, there were lofty aspirations, I guess. I think the, the places that we were looking for inspiration were light years ahead of us. And uh, quite honestly, we weren't looking locally for, for inspiration or like, oh, we want to be like this agency or this, this studio. I mean, we're looking at some titans in the industry and knew that uh, we're starting this little tiny thing in a loft. Like, how, how, how the heck are we ever going to get to this point? And I think that we had this, this humbling experience of like, we don't, we want to be like them, but we don't know how to be like them. So how do we be ourselves in, in this space, Columbus specifically, differentiating ourselves from all the rest of the competition? Like there just wasn't, and there's not any one source of like primary inspiration other than like, we just wanted to do things differently while being great, I guess. Our next sponsor is FMX. FMX is a computerized maintenance management system that helps organizations accelerate their operational success. And FMX enables you to streamline processes, increase asset productivity, and turn actionable insights into meaningful results. If you'd like to learn more, check them out at their website, gofmx.com. That's G-O-F-M-X.com. The Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is a local nonprofit that's committed to helping their partners build upon their strengths. They turn visions of what if into sustainable resources for the community. Was it was there anything in particular that you guys focused on though as you're looking at other agencies and studios and you just said like this piece is missing? Or was it just that you guys knew that you wanted to yeah. do something your own? Yeah, and the realization of that we're still coming to right now, but we sort of frame ourselves, very deliberately frame ourselves as a studio and not an agency, not a firm. And I've been using them synonymously. So maybe even talk about what is the difference? I yeah, I was, I was going to actually speak to that as, as from an artist standpoint versus people, someone like me, they're like, oh, so you're in marketing. They just like revert to the thing that they understand, you know? Sure. And for you guys, from my outside view, I can tell very clearly, okay, like they're, they're illustrators. There's, there's a story behind the brand versus how can we take over the very traditional markets or the traditional avenues for a big company and get paid, which is what most agencies I would say do. They're like, oh, social media, right? Okay, so we'll post pictures for you. Okay, well, why? You know, the, the why for you guys, you're like, okay, what are you trying to say? How do we help you do that in a, in a way that's different? And so when I look at your, like your Instagram or your website or whatever, I can get the feel of the brands that you've worked with and the identity and how it's all cohesive sure. versus just putting out information about a brand. It's that, it's the identity and the, and the cohesiveness and the story versus just making sure that they have a logo or they have a Twitter, you know, and that there's something going out on it. So more boutique than, than some mass, you know, where you're just trying to pump out and, and take contract work from massive organizations, basically. I'm really glad that you asked because defining things is always super mm -hmm. important. Everybody has a different perspective on it. We've found, and a lot of this comes from us having conversations after people have already worked with somebody else and have been burnt. The word agency has a lot of baggage for mm -hmm. a lot of people. And I think it's a product of a number of things, one of which is everybody's a CEO if they start a company. And everybody's an agency. There's this wide range of what that actually means. But let's even just take an example from an agency that I would say is an agency, like, a, like an incredible one, uh, like a Collins or a, a Pentagram or Basic or th there's a million. And Walsh. Right? People whose work we actually admire in a lot of ways. And I think the difference, though, between like what they're doing and what we're trying to do, like we internally, we don't really say this externally. We'll say it here, I guess. But uh, we kind of refer to ourselves as the anti-agency. And it's not to say that all agencies are bad, but I think they've picked up bad habits or they've grown to a certain extent that they're doing things that are contrary to what we think is important. So I'll give you a couple of examples. When you get a bigger, a bigger size, naturally, if you have a hundred employees, 
the account management is going to look a lot like playing telephone. You know, you're going to talk to the client and then you have your account person who refers that to your creative director, who refers that to the designer, who takes that back to their team, who is basically trying to decipher what did the client actually want at the beginning of this. And something that we value is a studio and emphasizing that word studio is like, this is, the, this is a makerspace. This is a lab. We think that you should work with the person who's going to make your stuff. So they can ideate with you at the table. Aaron and Patrick, Danielle, Jordan, everybody on the team, every project will be at, you know, at a table just like this one. And the client will say, I love this, but I actually think it's, you know, maybe it could just change this a little bit. And they'll make it right there in front of them. Mm-hmm. You'll never get that at another agency. It's also, I think, something that Danielle, one of our team members, talks about is you have to be able to go play uh, with the work that you're doing. And I think the studio is also just a conscious reminder to us that like, we don't always have all the answers. It's a lab. We have to, we have to work through it. We have to make stuff. It's, it's a product of both production and strategy at the same time, not just one before the other, which is another thing that I think agencies fall into the trap of. They're trying to be efficient. I get it. But they have the answer before you've even told them what the problem is. That's a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to work it out on the floor, on the counter, uh, at home. Uh, and I think in a lot of ways, that's where we're trying to differentiate. I mean, we can literally spend the whole hour talking about this one subject alone. And, and like I said, we're, this is that language around being an anti-agency is something that we're still trying to, to form. But through the last year, we've had lots of experiences that are sort of solidifying or confirming that that's kind of our, our angle in this. I mean, freight, a little bit more context around freight's conception is like, we really wanted it to treat it like a sandbox. It took six months to build the basic framework of the company, but we're still sort of building and experimenting what that brand actually is. I mean, it is our number one project. Freight is our biggest brand project. And that that's evolved and been iterated on. At this point, it feels like every week now, uh, especially in light of COVID, where we've had to alter and adjust the ways that we work as a team. But really, we wanted to treat it like an experiment, uh, a sandbox where we have all these crazy ideas and we have different backgrounds and perspectives, philosophies, and sort of a unified vision on ethics. <laughs> and even though we arrive at those things, uh, arrive at those ethics from, for different reasons, we want to build something that we're excited about. It's like never done, sort of unfinished. And we, we've had experiences where clients have come to us and after dealing with an agency, coming us with, with already plowing a bunch of money into a project, um, whether that's an identity project or a web project or packaging, and they've, they've blown a significant portion of their budget, trying to arrive at something that they love and, and, and they think feels right for the brand. And a lot of these cases, those agencies are charging a lot of money. And just recently, within the last couple of months, we were called into Silicon Valley to build uh, an app for a large uh, social media company. And they had just, we were just following, actually, we didn't know this at first, but we were following up um, to huge agencies that we actually really admired. I mean, they exist on our mood boards, our our Pinterest boards, we're, we're oodling over their work constantly. Um, and we, we actually haven't talked to, to either of these companies before. We just admire them sort of from a distance. And when we started talking with our client about this experience, it was kind of an opportunity for us to understand why those previous rounds weren't working. And it was kind of shattering for us to hear that the project wasn't quite valued at what they, what they actually would take seriously. And so they put C players on the project. They sort of provided templated approaches to things and they didn't really listen. And as a result, the company blew hundreds of thousands of dollars on, on work that they'll, that'll never see the light of day. 
and, and we're, we're coming in as a much smaller team. And the connection to that of what I was saying earlier as, a, as freight being an experimentation is like, we're trying to attract A players. Freight doesn't really have a B team and a C team. We want to bring in people of like unique disciplines and perspectives that can approach projects with fresh eyes, that we're not afraid to take risks and to iterate and, and basically forego a formula. I mean, we have a design process that, that reigns true uh, from project to project. It's, it's a very, very structured approach, but the outcome of that is a little bit more like jazz. And that's something that attracted this client to us. And we were able to actually go in there and work alongside of them for a week in San Francisco and, bu- and literally build and iterate on their brand and produce tons, a lot more content in that short amount of time than, than how the agency dragged out that process. And I think that fundamentally the anti-agency language is like, we're really trying to figure out a way to collaborate and iterate and build trust with clients where it really is just designers and clients working together. Like Aaron said, we could go all day on this, but I think the last thing, and I don't want to like overstate like what what freight is to all of us, but it's it's definitely more than a job. And I think the way that everybody at the team approaches this reflects that. At the end of the day, <laughs> take everything else off the table. We just care more and we'll work harder. Hey there, Conquerors. We want to take a quick moment to talk about one of our sponsors, Studio 301. Kyle and his team have helped us redesign our website, taking the podcast in a new direction that we truly love. And we have some incredible guests here on the show. And Studio 301 has given us a website that reflects the caliber of the people that join us. And the Studio 301 team can help you with everything from brand strategy and redesigns to market research, videography, social media overhauls, and a whole lot more. You can go check them out at studio301.org. That's studio301.org. So what did, what did the beginning path till now look like? I mean, you guys obviously been doing this for a few years, probably took some time to get traction, get some major clients on the ground. What were the goals in the beginning? How have they changed? And what are the goals now? Uh, well, at first we said yes to everything that walked through our door. Uh, if, unless, there. unless, unless there was a serious ethical dilemma on if we just simply didn't want to support whatever the thing is that they're trying to do. Um, like we had a no politics rule, yeah. uh, no pornography rule, no tobacco rule. That was like the three industries that we were like, yeah, that's pretty much a, a hard pass. Doesn't matter how much money they're choosing to, mm-hmm. to float at us. Um, but outside of that, I mean, we worked with small mom and pa establishments to larger, more significant corporation type deals. And, and it, it's odd. One, one day we'll be working on a logo for some small initiative that was $400 and a, a much larger project that and a holistic identity, web packaging, all that stuff. And I think that that was something early on before Clayton came on to our team is Patrick and I were tr- trying to just serve both of that spectrum. We weren't exclusive to the corporation mm-hmm. and we flexed our price depending on what they could afford. And we build, we, we tried to build what was actually needed instead of inflating a cost and giving them a bunch of shit that they'll never use. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that are produced on the design side that frankly, the team doesn't even have the resources to implement, right? Like we, we get all wrapped up in our head and we're building awesome stuff and we hand it off to the client and they have no idea how to use any of it. So, you know, an approach to helping root build their identity is a lot different than helping Joe who's running a pizza shop and has limited resources and is struggling day to day. He needs design just as much as, as root does. And in, in some instances, he needs some kind of brand. He needs some, some sort of like distinguishing qualities to have a voice and communicate what he's doing. But th- those projects and how they're priced and how they're approached, they're just different. And, and we wanted to make sure that we were bridging a gap between 
good design and some of the smaller guys. And that's hard when agencies are charging insane prices. So we really tried to exist in sort of this industry agnostic space. And we did probably our first year, just a little over 100 clients. And some of those projects ranged from a poster to an entire brand rehaul. And honestly, what that helped us do was just build a network and try to do good work for good people. And those references went a long way. You know, one, one job that we did for $600 turns into a project that's 10 times that because we, we did good on this small little thing and they have someone else who's an entrepreneur, has this awesome business, and they come to us on that $600 project recommendation. Yeah. Word of mouth, there's no, like brand recognition and word of mouth, there's just no, there's no substitute for it. You can pay as many ads as you want, but if you treat people like humans, you do the thing, you listen and you do good work, they're going to, they're going to tell people. And as soon as somebody else needs something related, they're going to send them your way. You know, like that's like the biggest thing, building a business. You know, we, we, we never spent a dime on advertising in the 13 years that we did sales. And that was because we made a product that was good and we stuck to our values. And then, and that's hearing you guys do that is like, it's really refreshing because like you said, most agencies are worried about we need to mark it up three times so we can pay the, keep the lights on, pay their salaries. And then the client comes last. It's just to make sure the check's clear. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. we couldn't live with ourselves if we're, if we're charging someone insane prices. That, no, they're that's not going to come back. Either. Yeah. That's not actually valuable to them in mm-hmm. any way whatsoever. We have no interest in doing that whatsoever. Yeah, for sure. And I think reputation is, is everything. And I think yeah. we, we talk about this a lot internally is it's sometimes it feels like we're not so much a you know, a design studio as we are like in the, in the business of client service. Uh, we take that super, super seriously. Uh, the experience that somebody has and nothing about what is happening aside from like how excited you are with what you paid for should be a mystery or a surprise during that process. Mm-hmm. Um, so we take that super seriously. And I, I want to come back to your question. It's like, I think early on Patrick and Aaron, what they're focused on is you have to get reps and you have to do whatever it takes to move forward. And like doing projects is business development at that size. And I think now the way that that's evolving is we're realizing more and more, especially as a team grows that like you have to, you have to watch your bandwidth and you have to watch what you commit to because everything that you say yes to, if it's a small project could theoretically a couple of weeks down the road be a larger project that you are no longer equipped to do because you've already committed to something and for us, it's not an option to back out if we tell somebody we're going to do something. So I think now, to, to answer your question, we're still figuring this out. If, I, if I'm completely honest with you, I, don't, I, I would say, you know, I don't really know necessarily. What I think we're trying to do is we're trying to be selective. And we're trying to, you know that advice they say, if you, like, if you try to do everything for everyone, you'll get nowhere. There's actually a lot of truth in that. We're finding that if you take that approach I think you could be successful, but you end up letting the clients you win dictate the business that you're going to build. And mm-hmm. we want to build our business, the thing that we care about, that we're excited about. Uh, and we want to do it with people that align with that. So a big part of our focus right now is like finding those people. And that has meant saying no to things that we, that one person on the team really wants to do, but it's just not a smart decision for us. You know, to get specific, we're looking venture capital. We want to move into the tech space especially on the consumer side, direct to consumer. Yeah, we're, we're narrowing the industries that we feel like we're, we're starting to understand better. I mean, with multiple reps within the tech space or SaaS space or D2C space, like every, every time we approach a project similar to that, we already have some framework of that industry and we're able to just crush it a little bit better every time. I think that we're still open to a lot of things, but as Clayton said, we are narrowing our focus because honestly, that, that first year of taking on 100 clients 
not really saying no to much. It stretched us severely. Like we really did put the, put the work in, uh, mm. but we were working constantly. I mean, freight was literally our lives to almost like a fatal degree. Mm-hmm. And like, we had to learn that the hard way, you know, like we had to go through that phase of overextending ourselves, saying yes to too much. But underneath all of that, we wanted to make sure that the small little logo project was just as well designed and considered as a brand for Root was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, not, it's not because it's less expensive, it's less good. It's, it's good all the way across the board. But at some point you have to be realistic about like Layton saying, your bandwidth. Yeah. You, you can't do a hundred projects at once, once with a, with a small team such as ours. Be truly great. Uh, especially with what you guys are doing and not just pumping out logos, but actually have meaning behind it in the context, understand the business. Like how could you ever expect any, any studio or agency to understand a hundred different industries at a deep level to where they could provide you meaningful work? So I, I feel Absolutely. like that focus, you almost have to do it if you really, really want to provide true value and not just pumping out design on a paper with no context or meaning behind it. Absolutely. Part of our design process is constructed in a way that allows us to go really deep, really fast. You know, we call it a discovery phase, but we don't treat it like a typical agency approach where it's weeks and weeks and weeks of research. It's more of like, I mean, clients have said to us before, it's like a a brand therapy or, or counseling session where it's like, digest, 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 listen, 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 ask as good of questions as possible. And we're, our team is actually able to learn very, very quickly and adapt because literally the people listening to the client are the ones working on the projects. When we structure a meeting, the three, four people that are in that, that conversation, that, that kickoff discussion with that client are the people who are actually working that project from beginning to end. And so we're, we're just able to move a lot faster as a result of stripping down that telephone game of like, you have, you have your CEO, you have your, you have your art director, your creative director, you have your designer, your junior designer, and it's filtering through all those things. Like it's awesome to have the team in all of those meetings. And that goes from kickoff to presentations to final delivery assets. Like our team is literally involved every step of the way. And that, that is one strength that allows us to, at this point, be industry agnostic. I think, I think that, that the focus is starting to narrow because we're, we're figuring out what our bread and butter is. All right. Well, I think uh, it's probably a good place to pivot towards some of our last questions of the show. In fact, the last question of the show, unless Josh, Tim, you guys got anything else? I don't think so. All right. Well, our last question of the show is centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. Without telling you guys too much about why we chose that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your lives and career? Live uncomfortably. Uh, well, that's every day. Um, when I hear that, when I hear the phrase "live uncomfortably," I think that really just means like you need to seek out a new opportunity. You need to look for the edges of the space that you're in, um, and a lot of times that that means taking a step into a void, something you can't see. And I think for us, I mean, I could speak to that living uncomfortably. Like we're living uncomfortably right now. We have the the time of COVID going on right now. And shortly before that, we, we launched a studio in, in New York City. That's expensive and that's competitive. And we sent one partner there by himself to do it, Patrick. And so I think living uncomfortably, I think is, is kind of operating with this belief system that you have the support, you know, the things you, you need to know, even if you don't feel that way to, to get where you're trying to go. And Lamont has this really great analogy um, about writing that I think actually it's really well here in terms of living uncomfortably, which is you don't have to see from where you're standing here in Columbus all the way to San Francisco to get there in the dark. You can get there 10 feet at a time with your headlights 
every step of the way. You know what I mean? You'll figure it out. I think freight in general is in a constant place of discomfort. Like I'll speak for the whole team. Um, we're all exceptionally eager to make our best work. And every new project that we have, we're eager to one up the last project before that. Uh, we just simply don't want to do the same thing twice. And that, that drives us insane oftentimes is challenging ourselves internally to think uh, as counterintuitively as possible with, with our approach, whether that's aesthetics or that's brand framework or that's copy or a strategy or whatever it may be, we're never satisfied with sticking to a formula or a template. And I think that our, our team literally is quite honestly stretched constantly. And we all like that. <laughs> like we like that discomfort. Uh, discomfort means growth if you're treating it correctly. If you have that, if you have the correct frame of mind with discomfort or suffering or pain or whatever it is, you use that as an opportunity to grow and expand. And freight is still in an early stage we still have a lot to learn, but I think we're growing quicker because we're just, we're saying no to what we're used to. You know, whether that's New York or that's bringing on new designers or that's choosing to, to pursue another industry. I think that just, we're just super eager to learn and grow. And uh, that's rarely ever comfortable. That makes me think of the design, design something that, like design for yourself rather than for a fit of need. You know, like if, if there's a hole, you see it, if you're not passionate about it, or if you make something, especially in clothes, if you make something that you want, and then if you design with that in mind, I feel like that gives you that like purpose and accomplishment. Like you're talking about, we want to, we want to one up the next time. Like I want to be excited to show people something I made versus I got the project done. And so hearing that is like super refreshing. Cause a lot of people are just like, we, we met the needs of this requirement versus I can't wait to show somebody what we did because I'm excited about it. I learned a new thing or, you know, if I'm excited about the thing that I made, then most of the time someone else would be versus you're just like, I, I did the minimum. A absolutely. And, and for us, like just get it done is kind of, it's a bad word. Mm -hmm. um, not allowed to say that. We're not allowed to say just get it done. Yeah. Uh, yet timelines are important. Deadlines are important you know, we're, we're, we're conscious of those things, but the work has to be amazing. We obviously want to be satisfied in the, in the work that we produce, but more importantly, we want the client to be satisfied and not just that we want the work to actually work. Like yeah. we want it to actually do its job. And our team is like very passionate about the work working and it being great. And so we'll go through great lengths to build that trust with the client so that they believe when we say we want this to be better than you do. And there's like, sort of like, trust, trust us to do our, our job and let's, let's build this thing as best as we possibly can and not cut corners. That's uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Well guys, that's a great answer. And we really appreciate you both joining us here on the show. Thanks so much for coming and talking about uh, Studio Freight. Of course. Thank you. For thanks us. for having us. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.